Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. A quarter century ago, baseball came back to life in Cleveland after decades of dormancy. The 1995 Indians were an exciting team. They ended up winning the pennant, losing the World Series to the Atlanta Braves, and they are the subject of a new book, Cleveland Rocked. The Personality Sluggers and Magic of the 1995 Indians, written by Zach Meisel of The Athletic, who joins us now. Zach, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. All right. So, you know, I, I already kind of uh, gave away, uh, you know, um, the ending. They don't win. They lose to the Braves, that great Braves team that only won one World Series despite winning like 45 consecutive division championships. Uh, what's so fascinating about the 1995 Indians other than this remarkable collection of personalities and talents? Or maybe that is the most interesting thing, I should say. Well, you hinted at it because it was really a perfect storm of a team that had been built from the ground up years in advance. And then this franchise moves into this beautiful new ballpark in downtown Cleveland. And the timing could not have been more perfect where you have a team emerging from this 40-year slumber where they were the dregs of the league. They, were, they reached such a low point that they had a famous movie made after them. Of course, and so that was Chariots of Fire, right? That was the Cleveland exactly. Movie. You know your movie history, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's just the timing was perfect, and you had a city that was so desperate and so hungry for something to get behind. And not only do they have a winning team, but the fashion in which they won with all these walk off victories and come from behind wins, and yeah, the personalities where you had an imposing slugger in Albert Bell. Colorful characters like Omar Vizquel and Kenny Lofton, savvy veterans who had been around the block. It was just the perfect mix for a city that was just waiting and waiting and waiting for exactly that. I mean, and and this this lineup. Um, I mean, I'm looking at it now. I mean, Manny Ramirez in '95 when he's 23, hitting 31 home runs. Uh, you've got, as you mentioned, Albert Bell hit 50 that year. Uh, with 126 runs batted in. Jim Tomey would end up being a 600 home run player. And Kenny Lofton and Omar Vizquel and Carlos Baerga. And you've got Eddie Murray, uh, another future Hall of Famer. Um, Dave Winfield, another future Hall of Famer. All these guys making, um, contributions, some larger than others, obviously. This incredibly exciting team. What did it mean in Cleveland to have a team after 50 years, almost 50 years since its last World Series championship in 1948, that team. What did it mean to Cleveland to have a team like this uh, around? Well, there's no better way to explain it than to say that two days after the Indians lost game six and the Braves celebrated in Atlanta, the Indians returned to downtown Cleveland for a celebration with tens of thousands of fans packing the streets and you know climbing onto traffic lights and lampposts in downtown Cleveland, and they lost. But it meant so much to that city to finally have something, some thread to get them through the summer and, and the early part of fall, um, which 
they, they had waited so long for that. And, and, you know, it came in, this is 1995 and the Browns left in 1995. So it was, it really was the start of something too. And I think, of course, fans were disappointed in the end result, but it had been so long and really most of the people who experienced that 95 team were not around the last time the Indians had made the postseason, 1954, when they didn't win a postseason game. They were swept in the World Series. So it had been since 1948 since they had a playoff run. So that's 47 years. Nobody remembered that. So this was the first time they could remember having something to keep them invested for six months. And, and so even with the end result, I think there was an appreciation for what that lineup accomplished, full of Hall of Famers or would-be Hall of Famers, should-be Hall of Famers, and a pitching staff that was pretty underrated, too. They just had all of the elements, and it just really galvanized Cleveland. I got to admit, um, and we're speaking with Zach Meisel about his new book, Cleveland Rock, the personalized sluggers and magic of the 1995 Indians. And I know I should know this. I mean, I was covering baseball on a daily basis. I totally forgot that Oral Hershiser won 16 games for them. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't realize. I mean, I remember Nagy, and I remember Dennis Martinez. Uh Martinez won 12. He had a very good year for them. Nagy was, this is a typical kind of Charles Nagy, 16 and 6 with a 4.55 ERA. Um, but Hershiser, who was 36, went 16 and 6 with a 3.87 ERA. And Jose Mesa had 46 saves with a 1.13 ERA. Yeah, you think about you think about the hitters on those teams, but there there was some uh, effective pitching going on as well as they won 100 games. Yeah, no one ever recognizes the fact that they led the American League in ERA and they were really good at preventing walks and hits and you didn't have much traffic on the bases. And the hitters would tell the pitchers just just hold them. You don't need to throw a shutout. Just limit them to a few runs and let Albert Bell and Jim Tomey and Manny Ramirez and Kenny Lofton and Eddie Murray do their thing. Unbelievable. So, yeah, you can see if you look at the ages of the roster, it's really interesting because most of the roster was was built from within. They drafted well. They traded well. Uh, So you had young hitters in that lineup like Tomey and Ramirez. And then they when they knew that it was time to to hit the gas pedal, that's when they went out and they signed Dennis Martinez, even though he was 40 years old. They signed Eddie Murray, who was nearing the end of his career. And then right before the 95 season, they signed Oral Hershiser to be that, maybe the missing cog in that rotation. And Hershiser ended up having a fantastic season, and he was the MVP of the uh, ALCS against the Mariners. So, you know, it's funny. When I, when I think about the Indians from the mid-90s, you know, there was that you know, it, it meant so much as well because there had been no World Series in 94. We haven't mentioned that. So it was kind of this unique circumstance, too. People were hungrier for a World Series than perhaps uh, they were typically because of what happened in 94. But two years later, in 97, they get to Game 7 uh, against the Marlins, and and they they lose that one. Um. And when I think of the Indians of the 90s, uh, there's so much talent, but they don't quite get over the top. What, what's, what's the team that means more in the heart, hearts and minds of people from Cleveland, the 95 team or the 97 team? Yeah, it, it's the 95 team for a couple of reasons. Number one, they, they hadn't disappointed anybody yet. 
So that's what made that summer so special is it was all new and fresh. And this it was foreign to Cleveland fans who were used to the team being in the basement by June 1st. So that was one part of it. I think that's why people were more accepting of the end result, even though they weren't happy with it, obviously. Um, but in 97, that team didn't click until late August. They were treading water. They didn't have much of a division lead. In fact, they were trailing the White Sox for a while. And then they played a little better down the stretch. I think they won 87 games, kind of limped into the playoffs and just caught fire at the right time, had some, some clutch hits and some key moments in October to get to the World Series. But again, that's by that point, you, they lose in 95 in the World Series. 96, it was a first-round exit. So there was more of a sense of urgency, and I think fans were less forgiving, especially when they had the lead in the ninth inning in Game 7 in Miami and couldn't shut the door. I, I, I got to tell you, before before we let you go, Zach, when I think about Albert Bell, and he was this you know tremendous talent, um, enigmatic, I think is a fair way of describing him, maybe uh, maybe a charitable way of describing him. When he became a free agent and he eventually goes to Baltimore, I remember that offseason I was trying, the producer I was working with, Willie Weinbaum and I, were trying to get an interview with him and dealing with uh, his brother, his late brother, um, Terry. Yeah. And and Terry um, – Terry finally, I can't remember if he, I think he told, he told our producer, Willie Weinbaum, you know, we, we, you know, we're telling him, Hey, look, you got to trust us. This is going to be a fair story. We're not out to get Albert Bell. We want an interview with him, you know, blah, blah. And he said, no, you don't understand. I don't want a fair story. I want a good story. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that kind of, uh, said something. It wasn't just about Albert Bell, but about, uh, the dealings between athletes and reporters, generally speaking. Um, what, what was up with Albert Bell? Where do we begin? Do you have a few hours? I mean, no, no, we don't have that much time, but you're an expert on the subject. The fascinating thing to me, maybe the most compelling nugget during the research and interview process for the book was how close they were to cutting ties with him before he ever reached the major leagues, just because they were sick of dealing with the antics, whether he was frustrated with reporters or taking out his, his anger from what happened in the batter's box on a clubhouse bathroom sink or the dinner table or the thermostat. It was always something. And, and you know, some of the people in the front office said, hey, it, it's time. We have to cut ties. And there were other people who gave some pushback and said, this guy's our only prospect. We can't cut ties with him now. He's he's the future or there's no future at all. So it's it's amazing to imagine that lineup without him. Certainly you have some good hitters, but I don't think you're striking fear into the opposing pitchers like you do when, when you have that menacing glare staring back at you in the batter's box who was always hitting fourth for the Indians. Um, it, it, he, was, he really was the heartbeat of that 95 team um, and was just such a studious hitter, kept diligent notes about every single pitcher, every single at-bat, still has them to this day. And... No, you didn't want to model your your off the field routines necessarily after him, um, but everything he did to prepare for games, you can see how that rubbed off on young hitters like Tommy and Ramirez, and it paid dividends for the Indians immediately and in the long term. Zach Meisel's new book is Cleveland Rock: The Personalized Sluggers and Magic of the 1995 Indians, and Zach covers the Indians for the Athletic. Previously covered the team for Cleveland.com and. MLB and you're what you're about 30 years old 
Yes, exactly. So, so you were only five. What did, do you have any memories, personal memories of this team as a five year old at the time? Yeah. So that's, that's what made me kind of jump at the idea is my very first memory of watching sports is what I remember exactly where I was watching game six of the world series. So I remember David justice hitting the home run, which was the only run in that game, the Braves winning one, nothing. And, um, you know, it, it was when you're a kid growing up in Cleveland in the nineties and you play baseball, you love baseball. That's there. There's no better introduction to the sport than watching that team. So it doesn't matter to you that they ended up merely as runners up. This is, this is, this is your team forever. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really was just the perfect, um, they just had every element you could ever want. And, and, you think about especially where we're at now where we don't have sports and we're all trying to cling to anything we can that resembles competition. It really hits home to me just how important baseball has been, not just in my life, but I mean, in plenty of people, especially people in Cleveland who grew up with those nineties Indians and those teams got so close, but couldn't get over the hump and just how baseball is such a constant. And every day in the summer you go to work, you come home, there's a game on, um, you know, it's the weekend and, and it's nice out. You can listen to the game while doing something outside. You can go down to the ballpark. So it's that 95 team was the perfect example of what it means when you are invested and you've got that, that next game every single day, there, there's some new result that you can process and to not have that right now, I think kind of, it furthers that point a little bit more. Those Indians teams were fun to watch and they were exciting to cover as well. I remember covering, covering them in the 97 ALCS, I guess, but it was a little bit of a different team at that point. Anyway, uh, Zach, it's terrific of you to spend this time with us and share your memories and his new book, Zach Meisel's new book, as I said, is Cleveland Rock, the personality sluggers and magic of the 1995 Indians. What a collection of talent and character. Zach, thanks so much for joining us here on The Sporting Life. You got it, Jeremy. Thanks so much. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.